0: Today's sermon, I'm going to read for you the scripture on which is prepared, but before I do so, I need to explain a little bit. I need to do a couple of things of work before we get there. First and foremost, we're going to be reading from Revelation. You might be saying to yourself, oh no, things are about to go sideways in a hurry. Every time I've read from Revelation, we're either talking about the end times, we're talking about the second coming of Christ, we're talking about some, some possibly auxiliary conversations to the gospel. And yet what I wanna encourage you today is it's not. It's actually very forefront to our hearts and minds of Arise. We've been going through a series the last three weeks and this concludes the fourth week of the series on our vision for Arise the next coming year. And we've talked about three things so far. They've been our membership. We wanna be individuals coming together to be as one. So you are a member of God's church. You were brought into God's church, but you weren't brought into God's church just simply for your salvation. That is true, You are brought into God's church so that you could partner with his body in doing gospel ministry. The second thing we talked about uh, is, is we wanted to continue understanding how it is that we are to grow, how it is that we are to understand. So we talked about there is one God. When God says, I am the Lord God, I am Yahweh, I am one, what we wanted to say is there is a way for us to understand him instead of us trying to project our understanding onto him. What God says is the truth, and we receive that, and we submit to it. We don't color God. God colors our lives. There is one God. We want to go back to an understanding of submitting to him. The third thing we talked about is worship, awe, adoration. We cannot do anything if we don't first praise God and have his affection first and foremost. And today, I want to talk about evangelism. Now, the way in which I want to do evangelism, uh, church, I, I need your permission to do so. Uh, there's this thing in scripture called exhortation. Exhortation is this. Uh, you're doing something wrong. Stop doing it. Do something else. That's the shortened version of it. It comes from a place of love and affection. Church, if I may for a moment, I want to exhort us. I want to use Revelation to let it wash up. I want to be challenged and convicted that something is off. Because here's the truth of the matter. Uh, if everything is fine and hunky-dory, I, uh, I learned a new phrase this week, uh, thanks to those who are educating me on it. Uh, It it doesn't hurt that bad. What are you doing? Ah, it doesn't hurt that bad. (laughs) We'll keep doing it. Why? It doesn't hurt that bad. It's not like my arm is falling off. It's simply a flesh wound. It's fine. We're good. Church, I want to encourage you. There is something that we are not doing, and it doesn't just hurt a little bit. It hurts a lot. There's something that we are actually not doing, that I want to exhort you And at the end of this, I'm going to jump the shark right now. I'm going to tell you, if at the end of this, you are not convinced that your service is fundamental to your salvation to others, that essentially, if you are not serving others indiscriminately, if you are thinking to yourself, how can I get things out of church? What is God doing for me? I want to encourage you, you don't know the gospel. That's my exhortation to you today. That's where we're starting. But fear not, there's hope. So with that being said, I want to read for us Revelation 4, 14 through 22. It says this, "'To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, "'These are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, "'the ruler of God's creation. "'I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. "'I wish you were either one of those. "'So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, "'I am about to spit you out of my mouth. "'You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing.'" but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I warned you. Revelation gets after it in a hurry. God's church hears a rebuke, and he says, I rebuke and I discipline those whom I love. And he says this, Church, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. Now, the reason that I wanted to preach on this as we're talking about evangelism, uh, here's here's where I typically would have gone to talk about evangelism. And it's just I could preach the sermon if I'm in an airport and we get there needs to be service. You go to the prodigal son and you preach from that and you get head nods and amens all day long. It is just Whenever I I guest preach at a church and I say, hey, do you have a text to to do? They're like, no. I'm like, sweet, we preach in Prodigal Son. This is not that scripture. This this takes a little bit of introspection, so I encourage you. I welcome you. I give you permission. Uh, No shame and guilt here. Conviction and hope. That's what I want. Conviction and hope. That's the first part. Because we're at an interesting point of our church's life. Very, very interesting point. 2020 has been hard, again, understatement. We're entering a season in which COVID is dragging on. We're entering November, which every four years gets crazy. We've started having all sorts of feelings and opinions and emotions and thoughts, and we bring them to the surface, and we want to have this natural inclination in our bent state, in our human state that's bent and broken. We want to divide. That's one of the the most fundamental things of the human experience. We love division. We love it. It's it's ones and zeros, it's binaries, it's black and white. We say this and you're over there and how dare you get away from me. Actually what scripture says is, what God says is, not in my church. You do that other places if you want, not in my church. You go other places if you want to do that, not in my church. We'll divide over things that are, that are fundamental to the human experience, that are fundamental to who God says he is. But what God wants to say to us today and what he says to the church in Laodicea is he says, you are focusing on silly things. And we'll get to what those silly things are. And then he, he challenges them. You are neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out if you don't become useful. He says, if you don't become useful, if by my gospel to you, if you are not enacting the gospel, if you just take the gospel and sit down with it and nothing else, if you are not bringing people into the word, into my church, into salvation, I'm gonna spit you out. Now, doesn't that sound like a works right? Doesn't that sound like I have to be better, do better to get salvation? It sounds that way, but it's not. It sounds that way, but it's not. What God wants to tell us today is, If you are members of my church, and you know who I am, and you are worshiping me, he says this, you will naturally grow and evangelize. You will naturally unify. You will automatically be people who are together. And if you're not together, if you're not growing, if you're not evangelizing, you know what the remedy is? Not do better, be better, do more. That's not the answer. The answer is, go back to steps one, two, and three. Do you know you're saved into his church? Do you know who he is, and do you affectionately worship him? Healthy things grow. Unhealthy things don't. And if there is no growth, what you must say, what you have to say, is one of two things. Either I'm not healthy, or this is my DNA. Uh, i said this before. I wish I was 6'6", and could run the floor like LeBron James. That would have been just my dream. I wish God had made me be able to, to dunk a basketball with ease, uh, my kids clown me. We're on vacation this summer. There was a basketball hoop and a basketball. They said, hey, Dad, can you dunk? I said, no, son. They're like, yeah, you, Dad, go dunk. And I tried. I pulled a hammy, I think, along the way. I wish I could. So one of two things need to happen. Either I was, my DNA was never intended to be able to do that, or I'm not healthy enough. I'm not fit enough to do it. These two things must be true. Church, if we are not growing, here's the answer. Either we are unhealthy and we need to fix that, or our DNA is not for it. I want to challenge you why we're at an interesting crossroads. Arises life, let me tell you, our DNA is there. We started as a church plant. We started as a whole bunch of people that were out in the world, either in college or on the outside of gospel faith and came to understand what that was. And then we grew and we exploded. And something happened along the way. Something happened that we forgot that love and we substituted it with other things. Today, I want to suggest that we need to get back on mission by serving the community united together in proclaiming the gospel for all people. say that again. I suggest we get back on mission with serving the community by uniting together in proclaiming the gospel for all people. And here's a simpler way of saying it, and maybe a more cutting way, maybe maybe an exhortation way. You have two options in life. You can die with your freedoms and your rights, or you can live serving other people. You can't have both. You can die giving up your freedoms and your rights so that other people may live. Parents, if you have children, this is you. You may say, oh, the the children are really, really, when I'm I'm kinda feeling a little sassy and I wanna get after somebody, I'm talking to a guy, and they're like, oh, man, my kids are just ruining my life. I'm so mad. They take up all my time. I look at them and I say, you know what kids do, right? And they go, yeah, 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 but, oh, man, it's just the worst. And I, I, again, tongue-in-cheek, I said, well, then why'd you have them? Now, sometimes that goes really well. Other times I see the fist balling up, and I'm like, oh, man. Here's what I want to say to you, church. If you were saved, you were not saved. Just so simply, you can be comfortable. You were saved so you can give up your rights so that all your rights will be given to you in Christ so you don't have to fight for your rights. The Beastie Boys were wrong. But they were also so right. You don't have to fight for your rights. Christ has already fought for them, and now we can relinquish them and follow after him. So here are some ways in which I think We have gotten away from our gospel intentionality. Here are some some things that we've substituted with the gospel. Our leisure, our political opinions, our comfort with friends, our desire for what I'm going to call happiness. Doesn't God want me to be happy? What if God wants you to be holy? our freedom and rights, our belief that morals are, the most, are not important to God, our beliefs that morals are the most important thing to God. See, we've substituted all these things for the gospel, and today I want you to hear, if you're part of our church, I want you to be reminded of this. If you're not part of the gospel, if you're outside the gospel, I want you to hear this. If you think you're in the gospel and you can't agree with this next statement, I want to encourage you, you're not in the gospel. And I encourage you to become part of the gospel. You are a sinner who is not saved by your actions, but the actions of another. Not so that you can get what you want, but rather so you could usher in what he wants. That's the gospel. I'm far more broken than I ever thought possible. And I can't bend myself. I can't correct myself. He has already done that and has given it to me. I take his identity. I don't make my own identity. That's the gospel. If you can't say that, I encourage you today. Conviction, not shame and guilt. I hope you're convicted that I can keep trying and trying and trying and trying, and I'll never be able to make for myself something that God's already given me. So, how can we become people who are competing to give up our rights instead of those who are hoarding our rights? How can we do so? I want to take a church, I want to take a look at the church of Laodicea and see why God is not pleased with them. The answer is because they're not being useful and then give us hope. So, in order to do so, I want to see why isn't he pleased? What is the hope, and how can we get this hope? Why isn't he pleased? God says in, his, uh, in, in the Revelation letter, he goes to each church, and he says, hey, church, you're doing A, B, and C really well. Keep it up. But you know what? Hey, fix these one or two things, and we'll be fine. And then he goes to the next church and says, hey, you're doing A, B, and C really well. Keep it up. Fix these one or two things. And then he gets to Laodicea, and he says this, I know your works, and I'm about to spit you out. Full stop. And you're like, wow, What? hold on, where's the, where's the like, hey, I love you, and then the punch? Where's the like, hey, we're doing things good, but where's, where's that? And he looks at the church of Laodicea and says, I know your works. I'm about to spit you out. Church, the first thing I want you to hear is we need to understand why that is in the, in the church of Laodicea, Laodicea, in the city of Laodicea. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to try to describe to you what made this city a city, and I want you to tell me if there's a city like that in America. They were an incredible financial institution state. They had great business practices and banks everywhere. Okay? Step one. They made great linens and appeared and looked from the outside, pleasing and good and moral and upright. Okay? Three, they were known for their medical advancements and were a mecca for people to come to their city above other cities. Sound like a city, you know? Their, Their identity was formed in, we are financially good, we don't have bubbles, we don't go through recessions. When things hit America, we're kind of on our own. Our economy is fine, we're good, we're great, we're stable. From the outside looking in, everybody looks and says, oh, that family has it together. We put up the appearance of that, and you better not have a public outside image of not being put together. Step three, they were known for their medical advancements. They had this incredible uh, medical application that would go on eyes, and the eyes would be healed. And the reason that they had all this, because of their location, they were a mecca of transit and marketing and business. People would come there, and they had incredible industries of commerce. They had this fine linen that was grown there naturally, and they had this this water system that was very, 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 very good for making this medical uh, treatment. Now, we have to understand what God is saying about them, and when he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, he's actually saying this. When we hear that, we think this, I have to be on fire for God. Don't we hear that and go, oh, I need to be on fire? That's not what it's saying. It's not saying you have to be on fire for God. What he is saying when he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're not refreshing nor are you therapeutic. What he's saying is lukewarm water. What can you do with lukewarm water? Can you clean with it? No, not not so much. Does it comfort you when you get in a lukewarm bath when you put your foot in? What do you do instantaneously? You rip that foot right back out. You're saying, I'm not getting in that. When it's tepid, when it's room temperature, There's not a lot. It's not refreshing on a hot day. It's not comforting on a cold day. It just is. What Christ is saying is this. Church at Laodicea, you just are. Uh, There's this really funny sitcom, New Girl. uh, And there's a line in here. This is, uh, church, this next statement is not a political statement. Happens to be a great line from the comedy. They were talking about how to get another guy interested in the main character. And the encouragement from one of the friends was to pull a Biden. And they said, what do you mean? Just just be there. What do you mean? Just be there. Where he is, be there. If he moves, be there. If he's talking to somebody else, be there. And and he says, pull a Biden. Just be there. Again, not a political statement, just a line from the show. And what he was saying and what Christ is saying is actually, don't just be there. Don't just go through perfunctory things. Don't just keep doing the same status quo. Don't just show up on church and go to life group and go through the motions. He's saying to the church at Laodicea, guys, you're not being helpful to the world. You're actually just like them. You were known as a center of industry and a center of appearing good, and a center of medical advancements. And you know what's happened to the church? The church started off as something outside of that. The church started off as something counter to that culture. The church started off as something, as we'll get to down the road, as completely different from the way in which the community lived around it. And that is what attracted people to it. Do you know how hard it is to preach the gospel that you are bent and broken and don't have anything good on your own and need Christ to fulfill all of your dreams? That's a hard sell. Do you know why the church in Laodicea grew? Because as they were in community, they said this, our God is not finance. Our God is not health. Our God is not appearing good. That's what started the church. And when God comes, when Christ comes and speaks to Laodicea through John, it says, All of that is gone, and now the church is known for being rich, appearing good, and looking just like the world of of medical, being concerned with health above all. Church, what he is saying is this. You become a firefighter who doesn't want to go into a burning building because your clothes might get dirty. You become a surgeon who doesn't want to get messy on their white coat. You're like a dog who can't hunt. You're like a cat. Period. The church was full of people who, at one point, said, I am saved and I am in good graces, and then they became a lighthouse who doesn't go out and save ships in the fog. They said, I like what I have, and I'm not going to go do anything else. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to give it my comfort. I'm not going to give it my thoughts. And Christ says to them, you're lukewarm. You're neither therapeutic nor refreshing. You're neither a cold splash on somebody's face that's a wake-up call. Nor are you a, a bomb that brings people a blanket on a cold day. You just are. That's why he's not happy. So what's the hope? He says this, he tells the church, you are good at making money, you're good at clothing yourself, and you're good at having medicines that cure illnesses. You're really, really good at figuring stuff out, and actually that's the problem. He says in Revelation, you think you're rich, but you're not. You think you're clothed, clothed, but you're not. You think you're healthy, but you're not. And he says this, you are spiritually bankrupt, not rich. You are naked and shameful, not clothed and you are spiritually diseased and not healthy. These are the, now, why is that a hope? Bear with me. Follow with me down this road. He says, first and foremost, you are spiritually bankrupt. The Bible talks about all the time about being spiritually bankrupt. We have to understand what this is. And this is a very, 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 very hard topic to understand. I'm going to try to explain it best I can. When the Bible says we are spiritually banked up, it actually means this. We can do nothing good on our own. Again, that's a hard pill to swallow for us. We say, well, of course we could do good on our own. Look at the advancements we have. Look at the inventions we have. And I say, yes, you're absolutely right. For seasons, we progress. And seasons, we push. And for seasons, what happens cyclically in our lives? What happens cyclically over history? Name the top civilizations that ever were, the advancements that they have, the thoughts that they had, the law and order that they had, the philosophies they had. And then what happened? They started doing some really, really shady stuff. Why? They got really high and mighty on them, their own merit. Do you want to know the the amount of killing that happened in Roman culture? The Greeks and the sensuality that they had. You want to talk about every civilization that ever was, and we only look at the advancements, and we never look at the huge denigration of people, the enslavement, the horridness that happens there. And what Christ says to the church is, You think you've made it. You think you've arrived. You think you're good. And you think you can speak so confidently from this platform of saying, I am right. And he says, you're not. Let me try to explain it this way. If I was to take you today and put you in a culture 200 years ago or more, and I say, take the values that you hold today and try to put them there and try to live, could you do so? You couldn't. Now, how about this? Think of 200 years from now, if I took you from today and I planted you in that time machine and you went 200 years from now, do you think you would survive with your cultural understanding in that civilization? You wouldn't. Do you know the only message that has transcended culture, time, decades, centuries, people, world location, the only message that has not had a center of spiritual health, but the spiritual health center has always moved and has gone from one culture to the next, and it's always transcended, and that's the story of the gospel. If I was to tell you where is the Mecca of Catholicism, you would know. Okay, we're going to Italy. We know exactly where that is. The Mecca of of Buddhist thought. The Mecca of of Jewish thought. We we know there are locales in which that has taken place. The Christian faith, the Christian gospel, Christ saying, you don't know best, I know best, and I'm going to give you the best. You don't have to work for it. Started off in the Middle East, got exported to Europe, got exported overseas, and has now touched every continent, every time, every people, rich, poor, every race, every ethnicity, every language. Wait, I think I remember that somewhere in Scripture. Every knee will bow, not just the knees that we want. You see, what Christ says first is you think you can make it on your own. What I'm here to tell you is whatever you invent, whatever you create, whatever you progress, whatever philosophy you bring will be null and void in a century. He then says, you are spiritually naked. Now, we have to understand what this means as well. Let's go back to Genesis when he says, you're, you're not only spiritually bankrupt, you can't do anything. You can't pay for things. You, can't, you don't have any money to do so. I will give you the money to, to purchase your righteousness. Then he says this. He says, you're spiritually naked, meaning you think you could put on a good front. You think you could put on a, a good paint job. You think that you can appear righteous, but I see through it, you're naked. And what is this? This is Adam and Eve. This is Genesis. It says Adam and Eve walked about and were happy and were whole and they were good. And and nothing was wrong. They didn't know about their nakedness. All of a sudden, sin entered the world and they looked down and they realized, I'm exposed. Here's the easiest way I could put it. You do a good job of presenting to your friends and your family and your church a persona, don't you? Uh, I read an article one time of how to be more like James Bond. Uh, and there were like five steps of how you can convince people essentially you're an international spy. I don't know. And it said, do these five things and people here's how to be more confident. Here's how to be more robust. And at the end of the day, we're we're faking it till we make it. We present ourselves. We we show ourselves something. And what Christ says is, I see through all of that. I have x ray vision. I'm every place at every time. You can't hide from me who you really are. You can't hide from me. You can't put a front up to me, which is what the woman at the well was trying to do. woman at the well comes and he says, "Uh, that's not your husband at home. Yes, I I, I know, I know, it's not my husband. I, I get it. He goes, no, 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 it's not your husband at home. I know you've been married multiple, multiple, multiple times, and that man is one of many in your life. And she gets struck to the cord. She says, oh, no, he knows me. Oh, no, he found me out. Oh, no, I'm exposed. What Christ wants to tell us today is don't put a front up. He knows it all. Don't pretend. Don't come with understandings that you think you know best. He knows your thoughts. Don't present one way. He knows what you're saying to friends. He knows we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. He knows everything. And why is that comforting? Uh, Because what it says in Scripture, he doesn't say, you must present to me fine. He says, I see through it all, and yet I still accept you. I see through it all, yet it doesn't change my affection for you. He says, you are spiritually naked, and you know it, and I know it. How do I know you know it? You run from the truth. You try to hide yourself. You try to build up a wall, a persona. You keep people at arm's reach, right? You don't let too, too many people see the real you. You don't have people over for dinner at your house when it's a complete disaster and mess. You clean up beforehand. And you say, I don't want to put up a front. Stop putting up a front. Christ sees through it. And lastly, what does it mean that spiritually diseased? It means this. It means we think we could heal ourselves or a lot of problems. We think we have answers to a lot of issues. We think if... It it must be because something happened bad in life. It must be because we have bad self-esteem. We need to build up more self-esteem. It's education. If we really educated people, that's the real problem. They would come to understand more. And what Christ says is, the remedy is not more education. The remedy is not morals. The remedy is not public elections. The remedy is not to have a king every four years or a queen every four years. The answer is to have a king who is eternal. That's the answer. He says you are spiritually diseased, meaning that your problem cannot be taken away by contextual understanding. Your problem can't be taken away by by having migraine medicine. You You can't give yourself more alcohol and it be fine. You can't give yourself medicinal purposes and it be fine. What he says is there's a root, a fundamental issue that will always spring forth problems in your life. And more therapy certainly will help, but it can't be the answer. Better diet is certainly helpful, but it can't be the answer. Better politics certainly can help, but it cannot be the answer. You know the only answer that can solve all of our problems, all of our disunity, all of our discord in our lives, the things in which we can't make happen? is to say this. You are broken, and everything you touch is diseased on your own. You have an infection. And everywhere you go, the infection goes. And it cannot help but go from you to the thing to which you're doing. So you know the solution is not to think to yourself, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll make everything on my own. I'll, I'll, I have medicine. I, I have the ability. I have the thought. I can reform myself. Church, stop reforming yourself. Be reformed by Christ. That's the answer. Stop reforming yourself. Stop pushing yourself. Stop speaking on your own behalf. Stop thinking you have the answers because every single time you do. How many times in life have you said definitively? I'm currently right now working on um, redoing a bunch of my kitchen. And uh, my father and my brother-in-law give me flack for all this all the time. Because when I started, I said, the dishwasher will be right here. I will not budge. I will not move. I will do nothing on this. It was like with that volume, too, I said it to him. Because I kept asking, are you sure you want it there? I'm like, yes. Are you sure you want it there? The dishwasher will go here. I want you to guess where the dishwasher is going now. Not there. How much of the time do we do that with other things in our lives? Where we are so forceful. We are so adamant. And we're shown later that we are so wrong? He says this to the church at Laodicea. He says, church, I want you to know I will bless you. You don't have to make yourself rich. I will give you everything you need. I will clothe you. You are naked, and I know you're exposed, but don't worry. I will wrap you in security. I will wrap you with the knowledge that I accept you and love you, and no matter what you do, you can never be forsaken by me. And I will cure your disease so that you are no longer a sinner. That's what he says. It says, church, you thought you were rich, but you haven't taken gold from me, so you're poor. You thought you were clothed, but you didn't take my righteousness. You took your own clothing. You're naked. You thought you were not diseased, but you haven't taken my remedy. You've made your own remedies. That's the hope. The hope is we don't have to be spiritually naked, spiritually destitute. And we don't have to be figuring out how to be diseased and live with that. We can be cured of our disease. There is a remedy. What's that remedy? This remedy is this: to hear from Christ alone above all else, and to let that motivate every decision in our lives. To hear from Christ alone above our own thoughts and to have that form our entire livelihood. And everything gets revolved around that central thought, that gospel centrality, not our own centrality. I'm gonna try to to encourage you with something very specific about this, this current context. Do you think right now the world is more unified or less unified than it's ever been? I know. It's, it's, we, are, we are disconnected from each other physically, relationally. We are disconnected ideologically. We are disconnected on all fronts. It is very easy for me to make a statement and pick a fight with somebody. That is easy as all get out right now. Do you know what's really difficult, what's really hard, what's really interesting? Is holding unity together. That's what's really difficult. That's what's really hard for us. I think as a church, we are not immune to that. I think as a church, we are letting small cuts divide us. We are letting our ideological differences come above our community. We are letting our comforts come above our mission. The good news is, if there's good news here, let me encourage you. We're not alone. I think there are many churches who struggle with this today. I think a lot of people regard that if we say the right thing, if we vote the right way, if we do the right thing, we're fine. And we've we've checked off the mark of our obligation to church, to God, to the gospel. Laodicea is a reminder to the entire church in the West. I'll just use the West because that's all I really know about. In America, how about that? We need to get back on mission. We need to get back on mission. Not where we're dividing, not where we're finding ways in which we can go ahead and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. Oh, I can't be with you. You voted that way? Oh, we're done. I wash my hand clean of you. Oh, you think that? Oh, I'm done with you. Do You know actually what we need to do, church? We need to lean into those disagreements. We need to lean into those hard conversations. How do we do so? Hmm, here's the hope. The first century church, do you know what the first century church was known by the Romans as? There's six things essentially. I'm, I'm gonna try to condense it down. Here is what the early church, Christ leaves, appoint apostles, gives them direction, they go off and they grow and they grow and they grow. Do you know why they grew? Here's why. Historians will say they were radically diverse radically diverse. And we're not just talking ethnically diverse, although they were. We're talking ideologically diverse. We're talking politically diverse. Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, has this to say. I'm going to use this as an example. What do you think the Romans thought of women? Thought they held them in high regard? Not a chance. Held them in very low regard. Do you know the percentages of women in the early church who comprised the membership of the early church? 65 to 70%. Do you know why that was? Historians will go back, they'll read scripture and they'll look and they'll say the early church, the Bible, Christ valued and cared for women above the culture. The marginalized, those who were thrown out, those who were forgotten were cared for, loved, valued by the early church and people who were marginalized people who were on the outside people who weren't part of the state said that's different that's lovely and they got attracted they came the second thing they would serve anyone the early church would abundantly serve indiscriminately other people and it wasn't based upon merit it was based upon their goodness that they had they brought everything together and then they shared it with the community they forgave easily They actively fought against the wickedness and morality of their day. The early church fought against abortion and infanticide all day long. They were the advocates for it. And they sought out ethics of sexuality. They asked men and women to operate as two genders. Now, if I was to take those five things out into the world, I can get agreement on three out of the five easily from anybody I go into. If you typically are on what we call the conservative end you might say, yes, we fight against wickedness and morality, against abortion and all these things. Yes, and we fight against uh, the ethics of sexuality, and we forgive easily. Sure, the forgive easily piece is like universal, right? That one goes across to all. And then we say, oh, these two. Or if you're on the more liberal side, you say, yes, we're radically diverse, and we foolishly serve anyone not based upon merit. That's typically another ideological stance. Do you know what the church had? All five. Here's my encouragement to you, and here's what... Christ wants to say, a I cut everybody the same. I don't discriminate. My gospel cuts and convicts and then welcomes you to change. You know, one of the things that really stinks about serving other people, when we say, yes, we need to go serve. I, I was part of a church that went and did a mission trip uh, to a city in America. And we show up at the city and we hadn't talked to anybody yet. Uh, it was a last minute thing. We had to switch from going to Mexico we show up to the city, and we say to the city, hey, we're here to serve you. We're here to evangelize to you. We're here to to bring you hope. And there was one brave church member who met us, and they said this, did anybody call us beforehand? Did anybody ask us how we can be served? Did anybody ask if we wanted to partner in serving? Because you think you're the white knight coming in to save us. And what if you're just as dirty and vile as we are and we're figuring out this thing together? Do You see the change that happens from I need, I need to educate you poor simpletons to I don't know what's going on. I, I'm trying to figure stuff out. Will you walk with me as I try to figure it out with Christ? That's a radically different feel, is it not? Now here, let me try to, I'll go on a limb. I'll be the first to say so. Uh, I'll be the first to try this. Walk with me, will you? Uh, I'm a complementarian. That means I believe men and women have roles in the church. Uh, Some of you disagree with me violently. Uh, Some of you say, no, you're wrong. Now, would it be fair for us to say, oh, I dismiss you. I reject you. Get out of here, you. That would be unloving, wouldn't it? That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Do you want to be part of a community that if you disagree on something, that you have to be removed from relationship with other people? I don't. But rather, what if we said this? What if we said, I love you enough to challenge you and you to challenge me, and let's walk together in understanding that Christ knows more than we do? What if we did that, church? And what if we said, I was saved not for my own comfort, Not for my own hope, but rather for the hope that he has so I may bring it to other people. Essentially, what if I were to challenge you with this? What if we were to stop focusing on minor issues and focus on the biggest issue of all? The world is dead and broken and going to hell and Christ is the only answer. What if that was our focus? Have you ever been part of a a group of people? Have you ever watched any war Band of Brothers is a great miniseries. You couldn't get a more diverse group. There's actually books being written about this right now about the history of the American troops and what had happened when all of these young people went into service together, and they were pulled from Brooklyn, from Sioux Falls, from LA, and they were thrown into companies together, and they had to work towards a common goal, and they found out that those people that were working for a common goal were interacting with each other. They were diverse. They were from different backgrounds, and they loved one another fully and completely. And they weren't focused on anything else. You know why they weren't focused on anything else? They weren't saying, oh, you're a, you're a Dodgers fan? How scummy are you? Oh, you're a, you're a Vikings fan? How horrid are you? What they said is this, life and death is on the line. And if we don't work together, we're going to die and the world's going to die. You want to unite? And they said, yes, let's unite. I said, great, let's do it. Do you know the only way I know how to get people to do that to one common goal, to one common understanding, to one common hope in which we're not fractured and dividing and we're getting on mission again is this. Do you see God as enthroned on high as king? After he gets done with Laodicea, he then says this, and it's at the end of chapter 3 and then it goes into chapter 4. He says this. In chapter 4, he says, I see Christ high and exalted. He's on a throne And there are rubies and sapphires and diamonds and gold. And there's this weird multi-headed creature that keeps singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know the only thing that will get you on mission? I can't guilt you into it. I can't shame you into it. You won't do it. You know the only way that you can agree to be friends with people that aren't like you? I can't shame you into it. I can't convince you. I can't strong arm you. Do you know the only way? If you see Christ as more beautiful. Than everything. If you see Christ as better, enthroned on high, you will. If you see Christ as above all, you will. If you see Christ as the purveyor of all love and affection and gospel, you will lay down your gifts. You will lay down. You will not help but bow before him. If I take you to the Grand Canyon and you see the expanse, you can't help but go, oh my. And it will stop you in your tracks. Church, I think our problem is this, if I may. We have a very low view of Christ. We think he's pocket-sized and portable. We think we get him fully. We think we speak 100% from him. And what he says is, oh, church, you've lost your first love. You've lost the affection of who I am. You were broken and outside. You were the prodigal son who came running back, and I was the father that opened my arms and slaughtered everything and gave you a feast. Could you imagine if you had, could you imagine your parents, you literally gave them the middle finger as you walked out the door, you stole their money, you went and you wasted it all. And then you came back years later, and your parents welcomed you in, and they gave you everything. They gave you clothes. They gave you your inheritance back. They gave you a feast. And at the feast, you were at the door saying, you can't come in. You can't come in. You can't come in. You can't come in. Do you know what that would mean? You don't understand the sacrifice your father gave you. That would mean you don't see the banquet behind you. You're more focused on retribution than you are the blessing you've been given. So church, here's my thing. Encouragement to you. Can we say definitively that we as a church, and if you want to group us in with all of American church, fine, that's great. Can you admit that as a community of believers, we need to become better of giving up our rights so others may see life? I would say amen to that. I hope you do too. If you are outside the gospel, if you don't know that faith, if you think you're in the gospel and something about this has said, no, 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 it's my rights, it's what I want, it's what I believe. I encourage you, you haven't seen the banquet feast that Christ has given you. You haven't seen the blessing, his gold, not yours, his clothing, not your clothing, his remedy, not your remedy. So I encourage you, accept his remedy, his clothing, and his riches. They're far better than what we can do. Again, I'm going through a kitchen renovation. Money goes in a hurry. Our riches, our goodness will go in a hurry. Can his ever run dry? No. His riches can never run dry. His blessings will never go away. His grace will never be taken from you. So church, again, I ask you, are you a firefighter who won't run into a building because you're afraid of getting your jacket smoky? Are you a surgeon who doesn't want to give remedies because you're afraid of your jacket becoming bloody and messy? Are you a dog that won't hunt? My encouragement is you don't have to be. You know the answer? Worship. 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 Not guilt. Not shame. Not better actions. Not better behaviors. Not behavioral remedies. Reformation. Heart transformation. That's the answer. If you find Christ is better than everything that you have, here's here's a question for you if I were to say to you, hey, I'll change bank accounts with you and I can guarantee whatever your bank account is, I have more of, what would you say? Yes. Otherwise, you really, really need an education on math. But if you say, his bank account is better than mine and he says, I'll exchange you, I'll become impoverished and die on the cross so that you can live forever with my father. And you say, no thanks. I like what I have. Oh, church. You'll give up everything you have because he has better riches for you. Will you not? You will. My encouragement is worship Christ alone, and the rest will follow. And if it doesn't follow, we need to see a better picture of Christ. And once we do, oh, it's like a sweet, refreshing cold drink on a hot day. Or like a warm coffee on a cold, brisk day. Useful and glorious. So church, I ask you this. Will you actively give up your rights so others may live? Or will you die with all your rights intact? That's my challenge to you. Here's my encouragement. Give up your rights. Live and let's have fun. Live and let's have fun bringing the gospel to all Being convicted and challenged and cut and pouring into these tense conversations with one another, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family, with our loved ones, where you might be able to say, I think you're dead and dying, going to hell, and I love you enough to tell you. We'll get there, I promise. The only way to evangelize is if you see Christ fully and completely enthroned on high. He is king, I am not. Church, will you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, today make us more like you by the renewing of our mind, the shaping of our behaviors, the transition of our affections. May they be to you and you alone. May our affections, may our hearts not waver. Those of us with ears to hear and eyes to see, may we pour into tense conversations. May we pour into uncomfortable living. May we give up our rights so that your kingdom can come that we are not the church of Laodicea, that we see we can't make ourselves rich, we can't make ourselves comfortable, and we can't make ourselves clothed. Only you can do that. So as I pray, amen.